Well, I think I got enough goofy stuff for the intro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, please edit out some of that. <laughs> oh, no, I'm going to include your story <laughs> with F word. And so that we have to have an explicit language advisory. <laughs> you know what? If we did that, our viewers, our people viewing it would go up by it probably, probably 30 percent. It probably, you know, maybe I could put like a beep in there. <laughs> yeah no please don't please don't let that one go through <laughs> okay i won't welcome to the three wise men of divorce money psych and law podcast sit down with the california divorce experts financial divorce consultant mark hill psychologist scott weiner and attorney sean weber for a frank and casual conversation about divorce separation co-parenting and the difficult decisions real people like you face during these tough times we know that if you are looking at divorce or separation it can be scary and overwhelming with combined experience of over 70 years in divorce and conflict management we are here for you and look forward to helping by sharing our unique ideas thoughts and perspectives on divorce separation and co-parenting okay so you've you've probably had this case come up, guys, right? Where there's a divorcing couple and one party has left the other party. You know, you have a levy and a leaver, and they've left the other party for a new person. And for some reason, the person that got left is not happy about that. Have you ever encountered that kind of a fact pattern? It does happen. Where, where the person that is left is unhappy about being left for another prettier, more handsome person? Uh, does it ever not happen? <laughs> <laughs> it's a very common fact pattern, right? Yeah. But this happens a lot, too, is the person that left is very confused as to why the person that is being left is unhappy and says, and I quote, why can't you be happy for me? <laughs> It's so hilarious. Why? So, so somebody, uh, I, I, you know, in current times when there's this huge divide between the 1% and the 99% of the others, mm. I'm imagining a one percenter walking by some rather hungry, disheveled looking homeless person saying, why can't you be happy for me? Yeah. Why can't you be? It's. I worked hard um, for this. <laughs> well, or I didn't. At your expense, but I, I did. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Yeah. Uh, why can't you be happy for me? Um, and, and they really know, mean it, too. I mean, they're really confused as to why the person that you had, you stepped out on and are now divorcing, why that person is not just thrilled for you. Are they really? Are they really that confused, or are they just wishing kind of a free pass to enjoy their good fortune after the fact? I mean, are they actually? You, you, you your, their behavior does often bespeak a kind of confusion. Why can't you be happy for me? Yeah. You know, there's a difference between sincere and rhetorical questions. People say those things. They say, why can't you be happy for me? And I was saying that 
that's not really even an honest question most times from a communications point of view. When I say, well, why don't that, why doesn't that guy do this or that or the other? I'm really not asking, why doesn't he? I'm really, it's, it's a rhetorical statement. I am urging that he should do it. When you say, why can't they be happy for me? I'm saying you should be happy for me and I want you to be happy for me. And I don't want the conflict that comes from feeling the reasonable guilt of uh, having dumped my uh, other for this, you know, new Tesla model that just came along, you know? I, and and I, I think you're generally right, but I have seen genuine puzzlement on all right. about two two or three occasions in my career where I I just think they couldn't see anything but their own perception. They couldn't put right. themselves in the place of anybody but them. But you did, you did already pose the theory to cover that, or Sean did, which is there, you know, I mean, narcissism with a small N is a healthy component of all of us. You have to have some sort of take care of yourself, be good to yourself, or you won't be any good for anything. But when we, when we cross a line and we, we become completely ignorant of how other people might, I don't know. Well, people get blinders on, don't they? So they, they, they kind of get into their, I, I think a blinder is like on a horse where you can only see what's in front of you and, and yeah. not really being aware of what's going on around you as you're forging ahead. And here's this person, you know, let's say yeah, it's a guy and he, he's got the new honey and she makes him <laughs> feel really good and she's good in bed and he feels alive. Maybe he had a midlife crisis. Did you say and midwife or midlife? I think it came out midwife. Yeah, you did. You midlife did. crisis, you know, and he feels uh, loved and he feels sexy for the first time in years. And so he's so focused on how good he feels and how wonderful this experience is that there's just an assumption that everybody must feel wonderful about him having this experience too, including the person he's leaving. Do you really find that believable that he actually believes that? I mean, Mark, Mark says that once or twice in his experience, he's seen, he's seen that occur. And I believe that. Yeah. It, I've it, seen it, went, it happen. Yeah. It, yeah. It's why can't now let's, let's, let's alter the story a little bit. Let's go. Mm, what's a good period of time, seven or eight years down the line. When everybody's had a chance for this divorce to essentially the dust has settled after the affair. Yeah, there's it's shaked out and it's almost like maybe they have kids, they meet and they have coffee from time to time to talk about, well, you know. Is he still uh, with the mistress or is, is... Our, no no yeah our son our son Freddy Krueger has stopped terrorizing the uh <laughs> you know the kids in school and uh and and our other boy chucky is behaving much better you know we let him around the kitchen knives now and oh and by the way i i have a new lady love you know and 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 she returns to that jealousy and stuff like that and all that or angry and then he might reasonably say can't you be happy for me i mean we're down the line Mm -hmm. now we're down the line this this didn't happen during the marriage you're saying this happened seven years after the marriage right right that that seems more understandable and reasonable 
Right. Uh, especially because there may have been relationships that the other spouses had during that period. Well, and I, I will say this, if I'm going to have a problem on a case, especially when there's kids involved post-judgment, it's good yes. when the new significant other shows up. You know, and you're amazed. I mean, even the person that asked for the divorce, like I had a case like this, she asked for the divorce. Uh, I think I know it. <laughs> you know, the one we're talking about. She asked yeah. for the divorce and um, he, at, sometime after the divorce was final, has a new person. And then she has an absolute cow over it that he's with a new person becomes incredibly jealous. And uh, uh, that always kind of puzzled me. You know, you, you wanted this. He's finally moving on. And now you're angry, you know, so that happens too. And it seems, I feel like we're picking on women. I mean, this happens in, in both directions, right? It's not gender specific. I, I've seen women have affairs or have new significant others and the men get jealous. Absolutely. And I've seen the argument made on behalf of the person that's saying, why can't you be happy for me? Look, you've been miserable for years. I've heard from you for years, how <laughs> miserable you've been. I'm giving you the opportunity to find what I have found. Oh, I had that one a couple of weeks ago. The wife is the one that had the new relationship. And she said, I thought you would be glad that I left. Yeah. You know, you weren't happy during the marriage. You made that very clear to me throughout the marriage that you were unhappy. And now I'm with a new person and you're angry at me about it. Well, what causes that? Why would a person be angry when they were miserable the whole marriage? Well, we're assuming that the only dimension of, of, of wanting uh, loyalty and this, that, and the other is this affiliative connection. There are other dimensions. There's, you know, there's other reasons that we can be jealous. It, you know, a lot of times the dynamics of these relationships are, I, I it's, this, it sounds so canned to say it, but it's almost reflective of family of origin. It's almost like uh, I see a lot of uh, uh, couples issues as being almost brother and sister rages that go on. You know, who's more worthy? Who's more deserving of the uh, respect of others? Who's this? Who's that? Who's the other? And it's sort of like, uh, it's like a pecking order thing. Um, you want to get biblical about it? Go ahead, Jacob and Esau, get going. You know, it's sort of like, this is old stuff. This is so core for us, these old jealousies, that they're reflected in all the religious writings. It's all there. Um, Mother liked you more than me. Well, yeah, and then there's that one, too, you know. But there's that you know, one often with the in-laws, too. <laughs> Sometimes you get an in-law who really likes the... Yeah, nor yeah. the daughter in law. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that creates problems for the other spouse. I've oh, my God. Happen. Oh, my God. And, and you don't even need a divorce for that one. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> but it'll probably I mean, cause one. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I stayed with you because I like your mother, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a country song uh, that sort of talks. <laughs> I won't miss her, but I'll miss her dad. <laughs> oh, that's so fun. <laughs> you know. Well, it's like that, that Jim Reeves song, She Took the House and Left. It was a mobile home. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> well, um, 
there's a need, isn't there? There's an emotional need that is not being met when a person strays. I'm not saying, I'm not trying to defend the adulterer, right? But these things don't happen in a vacuum. Would you agree with that? Or Or am I? I would agree with that, but uh, not with the idea that it's, I mean, there, there are emotional needs that we have of each other that are fair to ask. And then there's dependency needs that are too powerful to be met by, you know, just mm. some other person. And then the straying can be as much for, um, straying isn't always wholesome. Okay. Straying is not always, well, you know, there was just this reasonable need that I wasn't. Yeah. You know, um, it can be for crazy unmet dependency needs too. I think most people would say that strain is definitely not wholesome. (laughs) Well, yeah, but you're talking about, well, there's a need that's not being met. Yeah. Um, But there's, there's serial. Not all all needs are created equal. Shall we say that? I think there are people who, who, who essentially that is their go-to default position if i'm not getting what i want i will stray and there are people who do that and then there are others i think who genuinely fall into a relationship at a time when they don't um you know they weren't necessarily <laughs> seeking it i think there's there's different shades of gray on this spectrum here there's so there's, a, there's a lot of gray you know i, well, I maybe about 50 what's Probably. that Fifty shades of gray. Fifty shades. You know, you would know better than I, counselor. I don't know. Psychologists and all your sex talk. (laughs) We're all but voy. I don't know whether our voyeurism or our our hypocrisy is more remarkable. It's hard for me to tell. (laughs) Well, that's what we have you here for—to make those kind of decisions on. Yeah, I see. I see. Well, I've I've said before that I think that. Sometimes we're paid professional hypocrites, but um, okay. All right. So yes, there's, there's some kind of, I mean, some kind of tropism, some kind of turning toward uh, uh, an experience that a person wants. Yes. That, that is a valueless assertion. However, you know, it doesn't. Yeah, I'm, I'm not here trying to argue that you're justified when you stray. I'm just saying there's a reason why people stray that -hmm. could be explored and and it could help to understand it. I I had a case. I think I've mentioned this case before on this podcast uh, where the woman always looked like she'd swallowed a lemon. She was very angry because he had an affair and she always referred to the mistress throughout the proceeding. The mistress that the mistress this and he would come back and he would say, well, divorce doesn't happen in a vacuum. There's a reason why I left. It's because you were a cold, horrible person to be around. You never met my needs. You wouldn't sleep with me. You were always cruel to me. And so I left. And her response was, well, you know what? I would have rather you just left and then gotten with your mistress. Why did you have to get with your mistress while you were married to me? That would have been much more, you know, be a man is what she said. You know, you should have been a been. You shouldn't have been hedging your bets. 
Exactly. And so that was, you know, and I know I'm getting into kind of a moralistic argument here, but, but I mean, my, my point in bringing it all up is there were two very clear points of view and a lot of hurt going on. And let me take this back up to, you know, 30,000 feet and say, how did that impact the process of the divorce and how much more difficult was it? And, and cause I do recall you talking about this space and there was some resolution that occurred, but Getting that resolution at an earlier stage in the case, I would have suspected, would have made it smoother. Yes. I mean, she was very angry. And um, Scott, I think you've told me this, that anger is a secondary emotion, right? That Well, that's, I, I say that, that that's one of the conventional theories, yes. Yeah. And that, but, that, but that, that at least in many cases, I've, I've seen it be true. She was very yeah. wounded. Yes, yes. She was very wounded. She was very hurt. She was angry at him. She didn't want to cooperate with him in co-parenting. And so I think the kids were going to suffer because of that. She wanted him to pay. Mm -hmm. She wanted him to to have to suffer for what he did. And the problem, yeah, and the problem is we're, you know, we're in California, which is a no-fault state. And, you know, I've told people, you know, when I used to do litigation, I used to say, you know, he could go out and sleep with every Chargers cheerleader. That's back when the Chargers were still in San Diego with every Chargers cheerleader, a different one every night. And the court wouldn't care, you know, and, and because people are looking for some kind of retribution, some mm-hmm. kind of justice for what he did to me or what she did to me. And that's not available legally. So then I had to explore with that family as the mediator. Could she have, in essence, an opportunity to clarify what he did and what that meant to her and what pain that caused her? Could that be expressed in a way that would then allow them to be able to go on to settlement? And and that's what we did. You know, we, we gave her that forum and then they got to settlement. Well, the great thing about that is they actually came into mediation because yes. many people who are that angry just want the retribution of the gladiator attorney going out and fighting the good fight on their behalf. And, and, and credit to both of them that they made that, that they choice. actually came into mediation. Yes. Yeah. I mean, they had a lot of they had a lot of um, there was a lot of emotionality going on there. And and I got to give her credit. She was very angry and was very challenging at the beginning of the case. But then she got to a place where she was quite reasonable. And if anything, he became more problematic. Um, Excuse me, but I got to give credit to the mediator. The fact Absolutely. that you that you that you installed that process for them, and saw that as a potential window through which they could perhaps pass and get to another level of settlement. Uh, I mean, I'm not wearing a hat, but if I had one, I'd take it off to you. you know? <laughs> but I, well, and, and, but let's compare what would have happened in a litigated case. In that case, you would have had the ability. Of the of uh, a talented attorney, I, I think I've told this story before. But a colleague of mine from San Francisco who started with a big firm many, many, many years ago. She told me that um, they had a partner who specialized in jilted women as clients, and his comment to the woman was, and he would repeat it in pretty much every case, "Then we will rip out his lying heart." <laughs> 
And that was exactly the phrase he would use in order to gather clients, essentially, and go through an, a litigious process to try to get that retribution you I, were talking about. I had a but, former but, business partner. She was an old school litigator, and she would tell people, we're going to get his left testicle on a silver plate. I, I got to ask a question. Uh, in, in, a, in a common law state, can you get retribution for? Uh... Well, there are some states that are still, or fault is still an element, um, and they it can affect outcomes. Like huh. I think but not in California. But not in California. But no, there are no, some I states. Understand. There are some states where where fault is an element. I think Georgia and, was one of them. Yeah, and there's been a big debate as to whether pulling fault out of divorce proceedings was actually positive. Um, because what happens now is you go to court. Yeah. The judge doesn't have to thread the needle and figure out who caused this marriage. Yeah. 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 But what you have then is you have no processing happening. So then anybody brings up affairs, then the litigating attorney stands up objection relevance. Relevance. Yeah. Yeah. Because whether he had an affair is not relevant or she had an affair. You can bring affairs into California proceedings through the breach of fiduciary duty argument, though. And through the way money was spent. Correct. So he he spent money on her $30,000 tennis bracelet, you know, for the mistress. Now we've got an issue that is relevant and you can bring you can bring it into the uh, into the story. But but just because he chose to go out with her the night of their anniversary, that's not going to have any difference to the case the fact that he was he had a lying cheating heart that we're going to pull out well no matter and the adjust the adjustment in property for that thirty thousand dollar tennis bracelet is 15 grand yeah exactly (laughs) well unless (laughs) unless he defrauded her you see which case it could be 30 it could be 30 yeah it could it depends on you know what his behavior was like if he came clean then okay then we'll just we'll make those adjustments i see so it, it, there can be a disgorgement uh, term there if there's fraud, fiduciary fraud. Yeah. Or, or you know, I also had the case where uh, this was early in my career and the husband, it's all, these poor men, it's always the men I'm picking on, but it usually is. Um, <laughs> Let's face it. Come on. I mean, sometimes it's the women, but he had um, cleaned out their uh, um, 401k and had spent it on um, lap dances and pornography. That's a lot of porn uh, or a really tiny 401k. It was a whole lot of money. He was pulling out. It was, it oh was my. six figures. Hmm. Wow. And uh, judge said that was not a breach of fiduciary duty. He had a right to do that. That was just, you know, that benefited the community. Wow. <laughs> Which community was he speaking of? I don't know. I, I think I, I, I have a hunch. I, I was dumbfounded when that was going on. And I use that as my example of you never know what a judge is going to do. I, I had a case years ago where husband had chosen to invest in a business for the mistress or the new girlfriend <laughs> uh, and didn't come clean to wife about it. Yeah. Or, the, or, so or that that was considered an abuse of fiduciary duty, you know. You see a lot of these guys uh, because actually the business did really well, but she wasn't going to benefit from it, you know, because he had used separate property funds for it. 
It was very complicated, but the interesting, it was an interesting case because, uh, as I found out a long time after I was involved with it, the judge actually did um, side with the wife's position, you know, that she had been excluded from an investment opportunity. And just because it was with the, um, the girlfriend, she, she should have had the opportunity to participate in it. So he ended up writing her a check, I think, for like 50000 or something. So. Yeah, we see that. Or, or you know, we get a lot of these people, they're crying fat, they're crying poor. I'm poor. I don't have any money while they're driving around in their girlfriend's Maserati. Yes, right. Yeah. It's not their girlfriend's Maserati. It's their Maserati, but they put it in their girlfriend's name so they could hide it. And, and, uh, but there are I, always I will paper say trails. This, I will say this to people that try that kind of garbage. Um, you always get caught. It's not something that's really smart to try to play those games because the forensic accountants that have seen every trick in the book can yep. spot these things pretty quickly. There's not any trick that you can dream up that they haven't already seen. Yeah. So when I'm going to ask my wife and I'm, I'm driving my, my, you know, my mistress's Maserati around <laughs> and I'm going to ask her, why aren't you happy for me? <laughs> Why are you happy? Don't you get to ride in the Maserati every night? Why are you being so selfish? Why (laughs) why can't you just let me be happy? Why, why, why? Hmm. Yeah. So, okay. Well, what's the moral of the story? We've been talking around this issue and we've, what what can we learn from this? I think there's one thing we've learned is that unresolved issues around hurt and anger will make the divorce case more expensive, more painful, and take longer. I think that, so if there's a way to get past that, not to necessarily forgive, but to be heard and to be acknowledged that your position has been heard, that often goes a long way. You don't necessarily get resolution. We're not talking about marital therapy to get them back together. But being able to address, I think where we, you know, in our approach, when we do things outside of court, giving people a forum where even though legally it may not be relevant, letting people address it to some extent can allow for a pathway to settlement, can give people an environment where the case can settle. Because if people are just kind of just filled with anger and rage and pain and hurt and all of that, it makes it very hard for folks to think clearly enough to be able to reach a settlement because it's always clouded by, I can't believe I have to share with this person that did me so wrong. And I think that's the concept of settlement readiness. There comes a point when we have all the financial information we need. So financially we may be settlement ready but nonetheless, unless they're emotionally ready to end their battle, and that's often what it comes down to, they're not going to complete the case in a satisfactory way. So I think getting people to that point, and I think the takeaway is, you know, if you if there is anger in your case that's spilling over into your negotiations, you should encourage, we would encourage you to be engaging a mental health professional or two to help you through that part of it, because it's the most cost-effective way of getting your case done. Yeah. And I want to clarify, not engage a mental health professional because we think you're crazy. 
you know, what we're saying is engage in mental health professionals so you can get a grasp on this emotionality that is infecting the ability for you to make clear, logical choices. And to be able to communicate with each other. Yeah. It's really about, I always think about the coaches being communication specialists. You know, no marriage breaks down unless there's been some degree of communication failure. Well, you know, there was the Truth and Reconciliation Committee mm-hmm. in um, South Africa, yeah. next to the great Nelson Mandela. And there was a lot of hurt that went on in South Africa through apartheid. And the Truth and Reconciliation Committee, the whole point of it was to be able to speak truth and to be able to tell your story. And without be, the anticipation for retribution. Correct. Just that's get the it big out. key to it. Tell your story. How were you hurt? The person that was the victim? What did you do? The person that caused the pain? And and that did a lot to heal that country. Now I'm not saying it's perfect. And they use a lot of the same. Uh, they did a lot of the same thing in Rwanda where there was a lot of pain. They did it also in uh, uh, Northern Ireland and found that people able to tell their story and process it made it possible for people to reconcile something. Uh, These are some of the most positive, I mean, political events of my lifetime that you're talking about. Positive yeah. political events that were that pre- were preceded by some of the most negative political events in our history. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Well, so you're talking civil wars, basically. Yeah, you know, Rwanda, where people watch their massacres butchered. Massacres. Yeah. yeah. These they, are massacres. They watch their parents butchered, but, enable, but being able to process what happened, what was the story that led to that pain and that horror? Um enabled people to be able to find peace. So. And peace, by the way, is not the absence of being done wrong, is it? No. Peace is being able to, to live with the pain that you had and the story that you had and being able to move forward in a way that does less harm. It's to move on, to be able to move on at all. Well, what is that? That old saying? Uh, I don't know who said this, um, but. A bit. Uh, holding a grudge is like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. Yeah. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah. But I think we as practitioners have to be very careful. And I, I've been guilty of this because we're in a no fault state, minimizing the activity that caused the pain. Oh, well, that's nothing. It's not relevant. We can't talk about that. But the person that is feeling that pain is nevertheless feeling that pain, whether I think it's relevant or not. But yes, when the when those issues are coming up in the context of say work we're doing, you and I, Sean, we have to step outside if we're co-mediating a case, our our core competency in order to be able to do this. I think you and I both developed skills that enable us to be effective in some cases, but there are cases where it's beyond our pay grade, frankly. And that's when we need someone I, I who is say, trained. I gotta say, you guys are some of the best I have ever seen like unbelievably i mean uh, well we had a meeting just the other day where i felt free and i i think i made a mistake i made a mistake but where i felt so comfortable with you guys and how you were managing things that in order to save 
a client some money. I said, you know what? You don't need me for the rest of this one. Now, as it turns out, I was wrong. But <laughs> you were definitely needed. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah I, I think so. I think but, so. I think but so. I think I think you know we, Mark and I, um, I, we I think you and I would agree, Mark, that there's a point where you know we're we act like therapists sometimes, but we're not. And, exactly. and we know where that line is. And I'm very happy to bring in a mental health professional to help with some of these really complex issues. Because some, frankly, sometimes I, I may see there's the problem, but I may not know what the remedy is, or I may not know what will help a person get past stuck. Yes. Mm. Yep. I think you do very, very well at actually uh, remedy imagining. I think you do really well at that. You may not believe uh, there's a lot of time. In some of the cases we've worked on together where, oh, man. It wouldn't have mattered a bit what I did. <laughs> no, I, I I admit freely that I'm good at what I do. <laughs> okay, but I mean, and I you know I think I admit freely that, um, and and I, I guess I admit for all of us that, that our powers are not endless. You know, and they're, some, they're, sometimes I mean, sometimes <laughs> I just cannot connect perhaps with a client in a way that Sean can. And so it's helpful to have a team approach. You know, I mean, sometimes a client candidly will push my buttons and I'll find them difficult to interact with. And I will literally say to Sean, I need help with this man or this lady. Uh, I'm not, I'm not getting a connection. And that can happen to all, any one of us is that we've got someone that just doesn't quite fit our parameter of the perfect client. (laughs) What happens? What happens when Sean, when you and I say to each other, no, you take it. No, you take it. <laughs> if I know, Scott, I don't know what to do. What makes you think, you know, I did want to say to clients, a client, I took the husband out of the room and I took him into the small conference room and I said, well, you've done it. I said, <laughs> he said, what? I said, you've stumped the mediator. I am out of ideas. I've got no, nothing left. <laughs> and then I threw the line out. One thing we didn't try is generosity. What if you yeah. offered something that you're willing to give up and see what happens? And that actually did break the log jam. But I literally felt like I, I got nothing left here. You know. Well, there, there, <laughs> there are moments like that where you're like, oh, this is never going to settle. And then all of a sudden they pull a rabbit out of the hat and they settle. <laughs> and sometimes so just laying down that reality is that I don't know what to do next here. And I've got some experience so you're going to have to come up with something because the whole point of collaborative or mediation is that the clients have a role and a responsibility. It's not just about us. I've had cases where I wanted to histrionically walk out of the room. <laughs> well, you hit a table once pretty hard. I did slam a table pretty hard one time. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I have had cases where, okay, I'm done. I'm not working with you people anymore. I'm leaving the room. And then they beg me to come back and then they settle the case. <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> so, I mean, that happens, you know, yep. and, 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 and the thing is recognizing that we're also human, you know, and, and, and if you're out there listening to this and you're working with a professional, just realize they've got human reactions too. We have egos that can be bruised and we, um, we try to keep our egos out of it, but it does happen. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I think uh, we've burned through another episode. Probably. God, burning is right. (laughs) 
time flies when you're having fun. We talked about a lot of good stuff here, but this is, I mean, this is these deep emotional needs, these deep emotional pains really are what make divorce law, matrimonial law interesting for the professionals and challenging for the people that are going through it. And, um, it's important to cut yourself some slack. And if you need the help of a mental health professional, by all means, and, and, um, doesn't mean you have to do therapy. You can just get a good coach who can just kind of help you know what to do when you have to sit across the table from this person that is causing you so much distress. And I have seen clients learn techniques that they felt uncomfortable with to start with. That seems like a contrivance. And then they try it and And find that it's actually quite effective. And they often will change their approach based upon that. My Lord, it worked. Yeah. And it saves feelings. It saves pain. It, it, you know, it gets you to the other side of a difficult, you know, issue. Yeah. It's very, it's very gratifying. It's very gratifying. I think that this work is um, some of the hard and most conflict laden work that I've, I've done in my life, actually doing this uh, divorce coaching. When I train people in the collaborative model, Scott, I always said, this is the hardest work you will ever love. Yeah, I do. And love that's it. how I feel about it. I do love it. I well, that, I mean, it. there are those moments and this is what gets my juices pumping is, is there's those moments where a change occurs. Yeah. There's a transformation in the relationship. Yeah. Maybe we, we aren't able to save the marriage. The marriage is they're getting divorced for a reason, but they're able to get to a place where they can agree on something and move on and not have the same anger and pain and, I can think of two cases, cases. two cases I was involved in this year where I literally said and thanked the clients and said, that was beautiful. You both gave, you both contributed, and you came up with a solution twice this year, which is pretty good odds. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, we've been involved in a couple of cases like that, Mark. Yeah. Yeah. There are some cases that I say a happy ending on a divorce case is when you can um, you can leave the marriage without feeling hatred and anger and pain, and, and you can see a future. Yeah. And that was, doesn't always happen in every case. Sometimes people just feel just tremendous despair and, and, and it takes a while, but um, sometimes it does. How come you guys only bring me in on the ones where all the hatred is? <laughs> because we need you. <laughs> we need you on those tough ones because oh my god it's we, we've gotten beyond our pay grade we need a second really we explained this earlier if you were paying attention <laughs> <laughs> i i wasn't on the call yet <laughs> all right thank well. you everyone this was a pleasure to do i enjoyed uh, it's, this it's, one. it's great to be with you guys yep. you guys oh, are Scott, you guys somebody, are some of my favorite difficult people. Oh, I, I, I strive to be difficult whenever I can. So, Scott, if they needed to get a hold of you to uh, help work through anger and pain, what would they do? Well, they'd have to call me on the telephone. And as Mark was teasing me earlier, and you regularly do, my, my primitive connection to the universe is merely by cell phone. I am not a web entity. Oh, I'm so behind it. Uh, Hey, you guys, I sound young on the, on the, on the podcast, but I am a geezer. Give me that. 
I would agree on the phone. Yeah, Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. Yeah, Well, (laughs) how was the phone number? They would call me 619, the old San Diego registry, 619-417-5743. And as Mark teased me about earlier, yes, I do answer my own phone. And um, I am a, I am a clinical psychologist. I'm also a lawyer. I'm inactive in the bar, but I, I am law trained. So I'm in some ways a rather useful coach to, to folks who are going through some of these things. I would agree Scott with that. Weiner. Mark, if uh, someone needed to talk to you about the financial side of things, what would they need to do? Well, I, I don't think we even have telephones anymore. So no, I'm kidding. <laughs> but uh, we do have a website. It's called packdivorce.com. I'm a certified financial planner, certified divorce financial analyst. We have a contact form on there and our phone number. Um, if you have a question related to divorce and finances, I'd be happy to hear from you. Spell it out for them, Mark. Pack Divorce, P-A-C-D-I-V-O-R-C-E.com. Could could I fax you something? You know, I think I do have a fax number, but <laughs> I have no idea what it is. I, I haven't used it. I took I my think, fax line out. Yeah. Do you you guys e-fax, don't you? Yeah, you can do um, We have something, but I don't think anyone's <laughs> used it in about five years. <laughs> John, well, what about the you? Victrola, the Victrola. <laughs> If you need to solve a dispute and you need a, a dispute resolver, go to WeberDisputeResolution.com and we'll connect you with a dispute resolution expert who can help you solve your case. Spell Weber, Weber. Weber, like the grill with one B, WeberDisputeResolution.com. All right, guys. Good, good, good talk. Nice to see you all. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to another episode of The Three Wise Men of Divorce, Money, Psych, and Law. If you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe, leave us a review, and share with others who may be in a similar place. Until next time, stay safe, healthy, and focused on a positive, bright future. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Every family law case is unique, so no legal, financial, or mental health advice is intended during this podcast. If you need help with your specific situation, feel free to schedule a time to speak with one of us for a personal consultation.